Hello and welcome to another episode of Constructing Success, a sales, lifestyle, and further education podcast. It's been a while since you've seen me. I think I took two, two or three weeks off, so I'm back. And with me today, I have Mark Roberts, and I am excited to be with Mark today. He has a book that for any sales leader is going to change your game and it's called driving explosive driving explosive growth excuse me and we're going to cover not only the book not only mark's successes not only his ideas on sales process and what he's seen work with proof but we're going to go back into how he got started his history thought process how he learned to coach and his desire to teach so without further ado, Mark, thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I look forward to it. So we can jump into any portion of the discussion, but I think from what I know about your book and from the results that it's provided, if it's okay with you, would you be okay if we jump right into driving explosive growth? Sure. It's kind of like the passion of my life these days. So yeah, I'd be happy to. So how did the book come about? Well, I've been helping companies just under 40 years grow. And I think I shared with you before we got started, uh, one of the companies was a small plastics manufacturer, about 4 million in sales. And we grew it to 300 million and sold it. And once you've done that, it's addictive. It's, it's hard to explain. It's not the money, it's a rush. It's a rush of all kinds of emotion. At the time, you know, you feel like your hair is on fire and you're running around doing a lot of things. But what you learn through that process and the value that you create, you know, it's hard to duplicate. So it's kind of like my sport. So after doing that, I helped an ad firm double. I helped a company out in Arizona go from 14 million. They were stuck and uh, they were sold for 90 million. Um, I just love doing it. So kind of eating my own dog food. I also have my own coach. And she's a psychologist from uh, South Africa. And she challenged me one day. She says, you know, you ought to write a book. And I'm like, I can't write a book. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I can't believe people pay me to speak at their events. And she says, no, no, no. I promise you, if you took the time, there is probably common steps that you use to grow companies. You ought to write a book. So I've been working on it for about 10 years. And then I met this guy, Matt, Pen for Hire. Um, and... He took all my blog posts. I've been blogging since 2000. And he interviewed me every Friday and he turned it into a book very quickly. And uh, that book is like um, all the best practices. You know, it's, I call it a no smoke and mirrors approach. It's nothing fancy. Did I go to Harvard? Yeah. Do I talk like I went to Harvard? No. Um, I'd rather make it so people can apply it, use it, grow their company, nothing fancy. Um, like in one of my courses, I teach uh, qualifying skills. I use BANT. Um, IBM invented BANT back in the 80s, and it's still, still very strong. So why change it? So yeah, that's what the book's about, is if you want to have explosive growth, the book's for you. If you just want a lifestyle business where you and your wife can go out to dinner on the company every Friday night and drive a Land Rover and she drives a Lexus, more power to you. I'm just not the right guy for you. But if you want to take your company from 10 to 50 million in three years, if you want to take 200 million and get it up to a billion, that's what I do. And that's what I call explosive growth. 
Well, explosive growth would be the correct name for that. And you, you've said a few things that perked my ears. So, so starting with the plastics company that you took from 4 million to 300 million, what, was, what did you do? How, how does this come about? Well, first of all, I never do anything alone. I worked with an amazing team. I learned how to do what I do um, from the CEO. His name is Jim Sankey, still a dear friend. He's actually in the uh, notes in my book as somebody that I really appreciate learning from. But he taught us how to go out and instead of sell, um, listen. Listen for unresolved market problems. Just to give you an example, chances are everybody on this watching this has touched one of our products at Alpha at one time. If you've ever shopped and wanted to buy a compact disc back when those were a thing, by the way, I mm -hmm. date myself when I speak at events, they're like, what? Um, music on discs, uh, it was in something so you couldn't steal it. We made that. If you go to Best Buy now and you try to buy a USB drive or you try to buy a computer and it's got some kind of a device wrapped around it so you can't steal it, we invented all those. But we didn't do it like in a vacuum. We just went out and asked questions. What, what's causing you trouble? Oh, what impact does it have if something in, some product is locked behind the counter compared to out live on the floor? And the answer was 75 to 80% increase in sales if it's out live. So then the next question is, what are you willing to invest to get it out live? Um, by the way, those devices back in the day, I don't think anybody will mind now, had over 60% gross profit margin. In one year, we sold 100 million packages. Um, so again, I, I learned that process there. We, we opened up so many different markets. We grew the market, we sold the company, went into another market, used the process, grew the market, sold the company. Um, like I said, once you've done it, it's addictive. What, uh, so was the, were you working with the plastic company and yeah. you went out to retailers? Yeah, I actually was an employee. I was the vice president of sales and marketing. And my division was responsible for growing at least 20% per year or I would lose my job. That was the mission. And we did that through first gaining market share, but then also innovating new products. What, uh, so what made you go out to retailers? What, what, what gave you that idea that that would be a market for you to um, implement plastic in a way, and I'm assuming you're talking about you're talking about the tags that are on clothing now, or like the little tab that would be on the outside of a CD, where if you walk out, it would make the alarm go off. That's um, uh, an EAS tag. What we made was a plastic device that would put the tag in it, so you couldn't get to it and peel it off. Um, to the credit of the founders of this plastics company, they had worked with a local music retailer solving their problems for years. Um, my job was to scale the solutions that they created. And in the process of doing so, we learned that compact discs were going to move into a jewel case. When they first came out, they were in a big piece of cardboard, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, these things called DVDs came out and people were stealing those at a rate of 25%. So we had to protect those. Video games, you name it. I even got to meet the president of Nintendo. Um, I had to fly to Japan because, again, they wanted to increase sales of Nintendo, but it was all behind the counter because the theft was so high. Um, so again, you know, they had a competency of listening and then amazing engineers. Most of their engineers came over from Rubbermaid 
And if I would bring them a problem, they could fix it. They could solve it. And was this, so the solution that you came up with, was that solution what took the company from 4 million to 300 million or did you jump into other verticals as well? Oh no, we jumped into a lot of other verticals. Um, you know, the security division was one division, plastic packaging was another division, audiobook was another division, but all of them used the same process. Um, you know, it, from 4 million to 300 million took about 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, I'd still be there uh, because I just enjoyed the culture, enjoyed the atmosphere. But once we were sold, it was time for me to move on. And from there, where did you move next? I started drifting around. I found a lot of people wanted what we did. And I would go in there, help them, and then all of a sudden, I would have a meeting. And it's usually the CEO, and it's like, hey, great job, but now we don't need you anymore. You've created this infrastructure that, I mean, my gosh, you're the third highest paid person in this building now. Um, I could hire somebody for X amount to run this, what you've created. And that happened enough that I said, you know what, this is a business model. So I launched OTB Solutions, Out of the Box Solutions is what it stands for. And I could go in and help somebody as long as you want or as short as you want to set up your business to scale. And was that is that was running like similar to a consulting firm? Yeah. And what's funny is after I launched the business, people kept hiring me full time. No, 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 no. I don't want to share you. Can you just come in here and work full time? What's your price for full time? And a pretty lucrative model was I would tell them what I was looking for. They'd say, we can't afford that. So I would do a revenue share. Tell you what, I'm so convinced in this process, pay me this, but then pay me three, 4% of growth. If I don't do what I think I can do, no risk to you. Well, that's a great model until they cut you the check. Um, that's the day either they're the right company culture wise, or they're going to ask you to leave, or they're going to change the comp plan. Um, you know, let's just say one company had to write me a very large check that was larger than what the um, CEO at the time made that year. And um, I look at it like, you know, it's a variable expense. But, you know, a lot of the teams I help are small manufacturing companies, uh, family run businesses, and that kind of a check kind of went way up the family ladder, so to speak. So um, if you're with the right company, a revenue share model is beautiful. It's beautiful for both of you. Mm -hmm. uh, so they can get somebody with, you know, like my experience, or there's so many other really good thought leaders out there and they get a cut on the growth. How, um, how many companies, so I, I love the revenue share model. And I think, I, I think what you're alluding to, and I'll have you expand on it, but when you're saying if it's the right company and they have the right culture, is that because some companies cook the books and you don't get what you were supposed to be paid out at the end? Yeah, I mean, I've had two instances where people um, didn't pay me as agreed. And shame on me. You know, I, I try to vet my clients just like I teach my salespeople to qualify their customers. And I did a poor job and it cost my family a lot of money. But for the most part, people are good. And if you serve them, they'd be silly not to keep the service going. Right. Unless you've exhausted their uh, production capability, which often happens. Um, before we started this conversation, you asked me about being a scaling up coach. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I became a certified scaling up coach is just because I can get your revenue and your profits 
moving pretty quickly. But it just moves the problem. Now we don't have enough inventory. Now we don't have enough cash. It takes a lot of cash to grow. Uh, now I have to you know, have a third shift and the granddaughter of the founder doesn't want to deal with a third shift. I found that to really grow companies like we did at Alpha, um, I needed a framework. So um, I read the book Scaling Up. I read the book Rockefeller Habits. I just loved the model and the framework. And so I invested in being certified. And what was, what was the framework that you found success with? Well, the first thing that's, that shocks me but shouldn't is a lot of people don't have a business plan. I ask them, hey, you know, can I see your business plan? And either it's something in a binder that would take me hours to read or days, or they point to their forehead and it said, it's all up here, okay? Um, that's really hard to execute, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it's in the mind of maybe the senior leaders, but not written anywhere. Uh, scaling Up has a one-page business plan that's phenomenal. It's, it's phenomenal, it's not easy, uh, but if you follow the framework, you will create a plan with a strategy and you know, be focused to grow. And would you say, we talked about this a little bit before the call, but would you say that that framework is applicable to any industry, any company, no matter what? Yeah, I actually call them out numbers of times in my book just because it's so strong. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of other exercises in the book. Uh, my book is focused mostly on you know driving that explosive growth. If you're stuck in a particular area, whether it's people, cash, strategy, or execution, then I recommend the different tools that are available through Scaling Up. It's very powerful. And so going back to your book, what is, if you could give us a, a high level, and I'll dive into the details, but high level, what would be the framework there or an outline for the process? Well, um, one of the teams I helped um, was, was an advertising firm, very large firm. And part of their process was they would bring their new clients in for a day and they would have a round table discussion, whiteboards, they would fill all the whiteboards. But what troubled me was it was all the team members and no customers. So what I started doing was let's do what I used to do at Alpha. Let's go out and ask people a lot of questions. And the number one step in the process of really driving explosive growth is clearly understanding your current state. And that's where, you know, I, I, I like it so much that I actually have a side business where we have 15 people on the phones doing voice of customer research all day, every day, loss mitigation, win-loss analysis. Um, I need the data. I wanna coach you and make an impact. I don't wanna like make stuff up or ask you what's worked here 30 years, right? So the number one step is obviously voice of customer research. And then second of all, what skill do you have to work with? You know, I see all these people writing these amazing strategic plans and their teams don't have the ability to execute. And what's even scarier is I spoke at a conference in Denver um, about a year ago and it was all CEOs, CROs and CFOs, about 200 and some people in the audience. And at one point, again, I get a little ornery when I'm on stage trying to get engagement. I says, raise your hand if you believe 100% of your team has the skills to execute your plans. Not one hand went up. 
I'm like, okay, how about 70%? 70% of your team has the skills to implement that strategic plan that you and your leaders went off on Mount High to, to, to build. Not a hand went up. So I kept doing this and it averaged around 30%. People in the audience felt about 30% of their team have the skills to execute their plan. So you are going into a new year or you're in a year, you've developed this plan, you've shared it with your shareholders, you've shared it with the owner, you've shared it with your leadership team, and you know that only 30% of your team have the ability to do it. That's kind of insane. Um, so what I like to do is let's figure out what we're working with, close those gaps, and then, oh, by the way, if, if your strategy is what I call new logos, I need a lot of new accounts, then you need to hire hunters. My strategy is organic growth. Okay, then you need farmers. My strategy is I'm going to do a really good job with digital marketing. Okay, then you're going to need what I call fishermen, right? Somebody's on the hook. You need to have the finesse to reel them in at the right pace so you don't jerk the hook out of their mouth, right? So much can be learned with just those two steps. Uh, but it's the steps, ironically, that most people skip. So when, when you're coming in and you're noticing that these steps have been skipped or you're noticing that they have a strategy and, but they don't have the ability to execute, where would you say, so it, it sounds like the personnel, that's a big portion of it, but are there any other areas where they don't have the ability to execute? Oh, absolutely. Um, when we do the assessment with OMG, we also look at systems, processes, um, uh, I, I just had a client, I, I think I surprised the CEO, uh, but I had a, a discovery call because I actually do what I teach. And I told the young man, I says, you know, a third generation, by the way, I mean, great company, um, kind of stalled for the last five years. I said, um, first step is we're going to assess your team and we're going to do a voice of customer research. We don't need to do that. I know my team and I know my customers. Um, this is not a negotiation. If you want me to work and do the right work and grow your business, I have to have that. Mm -hmm. I says, you know, and we went back and forth, back and forth, and eventually he agreed, but I don't bend on those two. Uh, the first step is assess the current state, then decide where you want to get. Where, where do you want to go? You know, that's where in the book, um, I believe it was Collins referred to it as a BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to go? I want to be like the one client just shared with me. I need to be 150 million by 2025. That's what the private equity firm told me. Great. Let's look at what we learned through the uh, voice of customer. Let's look at what we learned through your skills. Let's develop a strategy to get you there. And then, like I said, what's, what's such a blessing is scaling up gives us coaches all these tools to do it. We've got these, um, you know, leadership facilitation exercises. You know, do we have the right people in the right role? Mm -hmm. You know, create the role, then put the person in it. Don't try to create a role for a person, right? Right. Um, so again, it's you know, you, you you identify what your strengths and weaknesses are, understand the current state, where do you want to go? You develop the strategy, and then you need to get people ready, right? You over communicate the strategy. Um, and then you do the training and the coaching. One of the most scalable things you can do is coach your people. Um, that, that, that alone is a surprise to a lot of people. Um, often the person in a sales leadership role was the best salesman you know, a year ago. Right. Um, and why I feel so blessed to be working with OMG is 
you know, their tool designed for sales leaders and there's one designed for sales managers um, quickly identifies, do they have the skills to be a manager? And if not, then I do training, coaching, whatever it takes to get them up and running as fast as possible. What do you, how do you navigate? So when you're in a discussion with the CEO or if you're, if you're speaking with the board and you were talking about assessing or running an evaluation to uncover what's actually going on, um, what would be the percentage of time that that CEO says, I know what's going on, I know my people, and what would be, or how do you, what's your strategy for getting them to change their views and buy into your ideas to take a look under the hood? Yeah, I, I actually teach in my discovery and qualifying class, you know, by the nature of your questions, you can demonstrate competence and build trust. So I know a little bit about, like I know quite a bit about plastics. I was in that industry for 13 years. I know quite a bit about manufacturing um, if they're a manufacturer, I, I know how to speak their language. So I ask them questions they should know answers to, but I know they don't. And after a couple of those, it's like, okay, you're right. I need to know that. You know, in, what buying process do your customers use today post COVID? What percent of the time do they go to the internet first? Uh, one of my clients makes these little metal, um, uh, um, devices, let's just say. And what we found in the voice of customer research was the way engineers were searching was they were taking a picture of it, putting the picture into Google and it was bringing them to websites. I'm so, okay, how many pictures do you have on your website? Two or three. Ah, uh, yeah, we need to fix that. We're going to blast your site with a bunch of pictures. If that's how your engineers shop, we're going to help them find you. And it worked. Um, so again, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, no it does. And, and those are those are good examples. I was going to ask what your examples would be. So um, to, to summarize or to simplify that, you ask questions that you are confident they don't know the answers to or they're unsure about. And with that... Uh, I ask questions they need to know mm -hmm. to write a strategy to grow their business. Uh, you had asked for examples. The company that um, asked me to move to Arizona they made vans for handicapped people so they could drive again. Mm -hmm. It was the favorite job I've ever had, right? I got a letter once from a gentleman in Canada. He says, it might not be a big deal to you, but I got to go out and get a haircut today. Since my accident, my wife's cut my hair for six years and I miss seeing my buddies. And I got to go out, hang with my buddies, tell a few lies, smoke a few cigars, and he sent me a box of brownies, right? That industry is amazing. So the first question I asked when I met with the, the CEO was, you know, what do you know about people in wheelchairs? And he kind of gave me a blank look. He goes, you don't understand. We sell through dealers. And I could tell you all about a dealer. And I'm like, well, I appreciate that. But ultimately, your vehicle ends up with people in wheelchairs. We need to understand them, right? And it was basically four different types of people in wheelchairs. And based on what the reason was that they were in a chair and what their physical ability was, would dictate what product we should sell them. So my task was to grow that company, and I'll never forget, I was at a dealer in Akron, Ohio, which is actually where I live now, just south of Cleveland, and there was a veteran sitting in the lobby, and he goes, you know, you guys that make these vans aren't all that smart. And I'm like, okay, you got my attention, right? My salesman was in selling, trying to get orders, 
So I'm talking to this fella and he says, you know, folks in wheelchairs, we make about 25% less per year disposable income because of all our meds, our chairs, our therapy. And you're trying to sell a vehicle that's 55, 60, $70,000. Why don't you just convert used vans and cut 15 to 20 grand off the retail? And I'm like, that is so brilliant. There's gotta be a reason we're not doing that. Uh, but there really wasn't a good reason. So within, I'd say six months, uh, we had to not only do a second shift, but a third shift. And we were buying used fleets of vans from rental companies when the season was over and our sales was going through the roof and it never, it never stopped. It never turned back. Was, um, oh, sorry. I'll continue. That was just one example. Um, same company. Cause again, you don't just do it once and forget it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm out interviewing people and I said, why did you pick our van? Well, it's the quiet. It's, it's so quiet. What do you mean? Well, if you grew up in a wheelchair, you probably had a van where the ramp was in the, in the vehicle. And as you drove, it rattled. So you couldn't even listen to the radio, let alone have a conversation. Your van, it disappears into the floor. I feel like everybody else right now. I have a quiet ride. That turned into a quiet ride campaign, take a quiet ride. It was our distinctive competence that our competitor couldn't match at the time. Now that since then, the competitor now has an in-floor ramp, but you understand what we did was those ideas come from your customers. Rarely does it come from sales. Sales is out selling, mm -hmm. right? Um, good product management, good marketing should be discovering those ideas. Um, but often it takes a third party with no biases just to go in and ask questions where where would you recommend that for for a third party that's doing this so if it's not your sales team um, where would you recommend they start or how would you recommend that they um that they get in front of the ideal fit customer like like what what would be a scenario where you'd be able to go out and get this information because just the the used van, just, just that idea, that's brilliant. And that's you running into someone that happened to be there, but what, what, would, be the, what would be your first steps for getting in front of the end user? Well, before I answer that, just so you know, fast forward, because mm -hmm. that was in 2000 that that fellow said that. Mm -hmm. And that's how we scaled them from 14 million to 90 million, by the way. Today, over 70% of vehicles sold are used vehicles converted. Oh, really? Um, so that gentleman did change the industry just with a comment, yeah. right? Uh, but the way you get started is I don't want you to tell me who your ideal customers are. Um, like I said, we have a business on the side where I need the data. So I've partnered with another company. And the first thing we do is we have a kickoff meeting and we decide on the questions. We have standard questions for net promoter score, customer satisfaction, but then we ask you and your leaders, what are the questions you've always wanted to know? You're paying a fortune to be at that trade conference. How important is it in the buying decision? How important is your salesperson in the buying decision? Um, what should you keep doing, start doing and stop doing, right? We, we, we create the questions, they buy off on the questions. And then we ask them for a statistically significant number of customers to call. Um, after you start calling 500, 600 customers, I would argue, you know, we're getting enough data, but we had one client ask for 1200 customers interviews. Um, but then we ask for, okay, we need to know who are your large A customers, your B customers, your C customers, who are people you quoted and never won? Who are people you sold but haven't sold in 12 months and are considered inactive? 
They all have a different voice. Uh, talk to me about the different segments that you sell to. Make sure I understand when I'm reaching out to this person, they're from this particular market versus this particular market. Are they a distributor or are they an end user? All of that nuance helps us give you actionable insights at the end. And when you have this, are, are they providing you a list? Yeah, I actually request a list and don't get me started on lists, right? When I talk to CEOs, they'll give me some fantastic data. Oh, I have 1600 records and but but when I start working with their team, all of a sudden 1600 records turn into 200. Because our scientists and our, our, our PhDs on staff um, do list hygiene and the, the list is not a good list. Um, you know, recently we were working with one client, they gave us a list and 300 records didn't have emails. How do you not have a customer email today? Right. 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 But that's just the state of well, the way things are. People aren't keeping the discipline and keeping the CRM up to date. People change jobs. Um, but again, when I work with sales teams, it's absolutely critical when we ask you to keep the CRM up to date, but we need to tell them why the why is the nurturing activity that marketing is doing behind the scenes that you're missing out on if you don't. How, how important is the, how important is the nurturing? Cause this is a, you just presented something that is going to be of significant value for the listeners. Um, more often than not from a salesperson's perspective, CRM will feel like a, a monitoring system. It'll feel like a babysitter. They, I, as a salesperson, from my thoughts in the past and from hearing what I hear now, we know our customers, we know who we talk to, or we like to think that. But what would be, and this is an example, but to tell the salesperson of the value, what would be the nurturing activities for marketing? What would be the value in having every step, every conversation, every decision maker, every conversation with anyone that has influence? What's the value in that? Well, there's still going to be times where you have to make a cold call, have a cold conversation, but that should be few and very rare. Um, if you're trying to sell, let's say, a new product, there's no reason why your marketing team couldn't have created a sequence of six campaigns, very short messages. One of them has a success story. One of them has images. One of them talks about the problems that it solves. Those all go out to your customers before you even pick up the phone, right? Over what is it? I think it's just short of 80% of the sales process is over before a customer even talks to a salesperson today. 33% of, of customers don't want to talk to a salesperson today. Mm -hmm. So we have to leverage that, that content. Um, so we warm up our customers, keep them informed. Uh, we recognize the fact, though, that even sequence campaigns have their limitations. 92% of people will not open an email from a stranger. And then if it's a stranger, they won't click the link because they're worried about uh, cyber security and issues like that. So we just need to understand how people are behaving. And again, it goes back to voice of customer research. You know, we even asked them, how should somebody approach you? Here's a free takeaway for all the sales folks. I want you to ask your customers, what's the best way to communicate with you? When I asked this young man that was running a very large division of a company, he said, oh man, he says, I get 300 emails a day. Just text me, send me a quick text. I'll handle it on my way home. I'll get you what you need within 24 hours. If you send me an email, you might not ever get an answer. 
-hmm. Now, back in the day when I grew up, that was awfully personal to send a text. But here's a young man, you know, in his low, uh, mid 30s, early 30s. He's just coaching me. If you want to give me good service, text me. You want to give me good service, just pick up the phone and call me. I mean, when you ask that question, I think it might surprise you what your customers say. What do you, what would you say for, would you change this approach at all if it was a startup? So it's a new, yes. it could be a new product, but you don't have a customer base. You have no history, you have no testimonials, but what would change? Well, I've helped a couple startups. I just finished coaching a startup just recently. The process is still the same. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what problem does your product solve in the marketplace. And we need to talk to enough people that have that problem so we can quantify the economic impact. If people are looking for information on this, I was the managing director of a phenomenal company called Pragmatic Marketing. If you go to their website, they have a thing called the Pragmatic Framework. It teaches you how to identify, gather requirements, and launch products that your market wants to buy. Um, so kind of scary. So here's a guy addicted to growing companies and finding new products, and I'm running a company that teaches people how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I couldn't wait to go to work in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, their content is so strong, they've trained over 80,000 vice presidents of product management globally. Um, Glenn, great resources there. I don't wanna um, you know, not give them justice. Go there, check out the tools. Um, I was certified in all the different courses they offer, but um, yeah, if you have a launch or a startup, there is a methodology to follow. I would highly recommend scaling up. Uh, the person I was coaching, I actually said, I am not gonna coach you again until you fill out the one-page business plan. But you don't understand. No, you don't understand. You're gonna spend way too much time, way too much money doing activity that you feel is very busy, but it's not strategic. And I actually didn't let her call me one month. She tried. And I said, I wanna see that plan before our next call. So mm -hmm. there is a process for startups. The book Scaling Up helps. My book would help. Go to Pragmatic's website. They have some phenomenal ideas on gathering requirements, for example. Mm -hmm. um, another reason why you don't want salespeople identifying you know, products, they can identify problems, but you need somebody actually gathering all the requirements. You know, um, you know, some of the products, you know, where is this gonna be merchandised? What's the temperature of the room? How will it be used? All those questions that are important to engineers that aren't second nature to us salespeople. Mm -hmm. Would you say, and I'm just going to push back on this because this is sure. this is just healthy dialogue. Would you say that those questions would be the salesperson could run the the initial part of the process and pull out as much information as possible? But when you're getting into the qualifying stage, if you will, and you're getting into the um, the criteria for moving forward, the criteria for a vendor, the criteria for making a decision, would you say that's where you'd bring in a a technical salesperson or just a, a technical employee to make sure that those fits are there? Or would you say that that needs to happen earlier? It'd be great if we had those employees. A lot of the teams that I help are manufacturing companies that are not huge in numbers. Some are, I mean, a couple of them are in billions, but most of them aren't. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody on staff and product management, they're the right person to do the discovery and building the requirements. Um, if you don't, then have a technical expert come along with sales and ask questions. Um, 
Because I promise you, we're not going to ask all the right questions. Mm -hmm. Having done the process myself, I was blessed where people would bring me their problems after you've solved enough of them. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, okay, tell me as much as, you know, how many of it, how many units are in there? How many would you need in a year? Um, is there anything, any constraints I need to be aware of? Yeah, it needs to run through our automation. Who do I talk to in automation? And then I would bring in a technical expert because again, I, I want to move on to the next sale mm -hmm. while the other person's designing an amazing new product, right? Mm -hmm. But what I found was a lot of times people invent new things because they can, not because they should. <laughs> yes. So what I'm not a miracle worker, right? So if you come to me with something that you haven't done any market vetting, you haven't done any gathering of requirements, you've come up with this really cool thing I can't promise you we're going to scale that company. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very difficult because we have to find a problem that it solves. Mm -hmm. If you, and it, this isn't a, by no means is this a trick question, but this is a no, kind of okay. an, an either or. Um, if you're running a startup and resources are low, would you recommend having a good salesperson and teaching them the technical questions to ask or have a technical expert and teach them how to sell? If you're in a startup phase, I would have somebody that knows the technology and knows how to ask questions and actively listen. Mm -hmm. When I say actively listen, I don't mean like most salespeople listen to reply. Right? That's, what we were taught. That's what we were taught in the 80s, by the way. Oh, when really? they say this, jump on them, sell them, right? No. Um, well, what you need to do is listen. Okay, I don't understand that. So what you're saying is, and you paraphrase, okay, and what's the impact of that? Oh, well, it saves us $2 million a year. Why is that? Oh, because the line was down for six hours and we had two technicians. Really? So uh, you, you try to get to the root, right? And I, I teach in one of my courses, don't ask why, because it puts people on a defensive. Yeah. Ask what or how. Mm-hmm. And people will share. If you take an interest in them and their business, you'd be shocked what some people will share with you. Mm -hmm. But where most people blow it is in the back of their mind, they're trying to sell. And as soon as somebody says a, some problem, they start selling and the other person shuts down. Not, not even the problem, a symptom. A symptom. Don't, don't get me started on symptoms. <laughs> we, we, we have a closing problem. Really? Talk to me, what's going on? Our close rate is only 15%. Well, chances are you have a discovery problem, you have a qualifying problem, you're, you're quoting people you should not be quoting, you're not following a formal sales process. Yeah, don't get me started, right? And, and you know this, this is, uh, I've, if you're listening and you can't see me, I've got a shit-eating grin on my face. When someone, when someone says that, oh, we've got a closing problem and you've got the salesperson that's not really listening or not really trying to uncover, they'll jump, oh, you're only closing 15%. Well, let me tell you how us increasing your leads will solve that problem. They just jump, they jump to prescribe and they don't know anything about what's really going on. They don't know how it's affecting the person you're speaking with. They don't know how it's affecting the company. They don't even know if it's a closing problem in itself, which is so, so, so quick to hear one thing and think, boom, I got this. Let me show you how I can help you. And as soon as that happens, without the proper discovery, without understanding the issues, the person just closes down and they're like, this is another salesperson. How much longer until they finish? So I can say, that was really nice. We'll get back to you and get them the hell out of, <laughs> out of my office or my space. No, I refer to it as running an MRI, right? Go out, 
and ask a lot of questions. Really try to get to the root without you know, trying to sell. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. I'm a card carrying salesman, right? I've been doing this 40 years, mm -hmm. but you've got to hold back on that sale. Mm -hmm. You've got to take really good notes. You got to gather the requirements. And then you tell them, look, you know, I, I took a lot of notes as you could tell. And I want to get back to you within the next 24 hours with some ideas, but those are just my ideas. You're closer to your business than I ever will be. Mm -hmm. My process is we're going to collaborate and we're going to work together and make this happen. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, that is so fresh compared to how most people sell. I call it pitch slapping, right? <laughs> they go in there and they just start pitching. You, you've all experienced it. Come on, five o'clock, your phone rings. By the way, I'm a Verizon customer and it's Verizon trying to sell me Verizon. I'm like, are you kidding me? Now, because I'm older and I, I, I kind of have a dark side, I actually say, that's very interesting. And I put the phone down, I don't hang up and I have my dinner. I'm just curious how long that poor person was talking. Mm -hmm. They don't even take a breath, right? Yeah. That's pitch slapping. Yes. Oh, my salespeople don't do it. Okay, well we call it show up and throw up then. They have a meeting, they assume they know the person has a problem. They don't ask if they've got the problem, they start pitching. Yeah. I get out in the car and it's, I used to call it windshield time. I'm like, what'd you just do? Did they tell you that was a problem prior to me being with you? No. Okay. You just pitch slap that guy. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're lucky, I call it feature and benefit bingo. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky to throw something out there and it sticks and the buyer jumps up and yells, bingo, I get it. I know how you can help me now. You might get a sale. But most time, not so much. So I've never heard of that term. Uh, I'm going to use that. I'll give you the credit at all times. I have never heard of feature and benefit bingo. But... Oh, I wrote an article about it. I'll have to send you the link. <laughs> please, please do. Um, but you said you mentioned one thing that really, really resonates with me. And you said sometimes they'll get lucky. Yeah. And the, the most frustrating thing from a coaching, from a consulting, from just giving good advice when someone needs help is they will have a situation where that worked one time for them and they were really lucky. And it's going to take a thousand more failures before they're even going to listen to you. And, and I say, I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't go in with a pre-prepared pitch deck that's inappropriate because you're just giving the full... Uh, the full soup to nuts of what you do, which is going to bore the client. And they'll say, no, 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 I've gone in. I've gone in and I've showed a video of what we've, we've done and, and I've closed business right there. Okay. How often does that happen? Well, it happened once. It was a big sale. It's like, oh my gosh, this person is not even coachable. They're not going to listen. Okay. Well, if it's working with you, I'm, I'm a little confused on why I'm here, but sure. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, well, it's not scalable. That's the issue. Yes. And you, you had mentioned CRM, and again, shame on me for drifting from the CRM. Um, it's all about how you're using it. Mm -hmm. When I work with teams, and again, you either love me or you hate me, which is kind of a problem, I guess. That's why I work for myself. Um, if I work with a team, if I need to check up on you, I'm not going to keep you as an employee. Mm -hmm. The CRM is to track trends and data, right? And then just imagine, we're looking at the trend data. We've got a formal sales process. Let's say it's right after qualifying. We, we don't seem to get quotes after qualifying, let's say. Mm -hmm. That's a marketing opportunity. It's like a, one of these uh, roundabouts, right? They keep putting all these roundabouts in Ohio to slow down traffic. Yeah. It's a roundabout in the sale. 
marketing could come in if we see a trend across all of salespeople and create content, create a really good video to help you, but they don't know. And if they don't know, because if you have a CRM and you're just putting in what you need just to get by so nobody hounds you, right. we're not going to see really good trends. Right. If you're just doing the CRM every Friday night, trying to remember what you did that week, you're not, you're not doing yourself a favor, right? right. Um, do it right when you get done. Now there's a dictation app. I, the fellow, I met him, he's from Israel. You get in your car, you turn on the cell phone, and you dictate what just happened into CRM. Oh, There's no cool. reason. Yeah, I wish I remembered the name of the guy, but um, awesome app. Go out there and look for it. There's a lot of dictation apps now, so you can do it right from your phone. Mm -hmm. There's no more need to do something in Word and then spell check it and then paste it. And oh, by the way, you have a terrible internet connection. You just lost everything you typed. Yeah. Those were the terrible days of CRM. Yeah. Um, CRM actually helps you not need a memory too. Mm -hmm. I have my own CRM. I love it. Every morning it reminds me what I'm supposed to do. I got a lot going on, mm -hmm. right? Um, I love a CRM. And a lot of times when I work with teams, I need to coach them on how the CRM is good for them. Mm -hmm. That So you saying that that's a great point because we, we look at it, and I'm going to use this again, but we look at it as it's a monitoring system. And there's so, right. so, so many... It, I don't know what you use and this is not, you know, this is whatever you use. That's great. I specifically, I like membrane. That's a CRM mm -hmm. that I really like. And I find that there's valuable tools in it, but right. as, as proactive as I want to be and as proactive as I think I am. And, and I do think I take good notes and I have a good memory, but the busier you get, this is a good thing. When, when you're in abundance, you start to miss steps. You start to forget things. And if you use a CRM to set, um, next steps, calendar reminders, what do I need to call them on here? What do I need to check up on? It, it's an invaluable tool when used the right way. And you hit the nail on the head. When companies roll out a CRM, it's all about why we're doing this for the company. Seriously, I, I've been in so many meetings and this is, I thank you. Like the, this is why I like doing episodes like this. And this is why I like talking with people like you. That's why people are resistant to CRM is it doesn't do any, it doesn't do anything for the, and I'm using air quotes for the listeners. The salesperson doesn't realize how valuable it is for them if used properly. And, and that's an education that should be from the top down when implementing CRM or when requiring CRM is, hey guys, hey guys and girls, this is for our records, but this is more for you and we're here to make sure you're successful. And just that mind frame switch would make most people believe in it would make makes more most people at least give it a try and it far too often they just think like oh they're watching me here's another tool here's another bs thing they're spending some money on this and, and they can get frustrated too i needed these marketing funds and they're wasting money on crm and it just leads to this frustration anyway that that's my little rant but uh, no that that's well, and again for me. Re reframe a crm what if i told you i could give you a technology-based tool that reminds you of conversations to have to move things through the pipeline at key phases of the sales process. It reminds you of what content, article, white paper seem to move a sale through the, you know, oh, and it also identifies shifts, right? During COVID, you know, where were sales getting hung up? Were they getting hung up early in the pipeline or later? And what did we do to fix it? It's like a free coach. It is. <laughs> and 
people are looking at it like big brother. Now, shame on you if you're big brother and you don't trust your folks. You told mm -hmm. them to make 50 calls a day. Your way of finding out if they made 50 calls is you check the CRM. Oh, by the way, check the, who they're calling because they might be calling Best Buy and all those guys. Um, again, don't get me started on the wrong goal, but um, CRM is a very powerful tool. If you're not leveraging it, shame on you. Yeah. And with your clients, do you, what CRM system do you recommend? People, Membrane is a popular one. Yeah. Um, some have industry-specific um, uh, CRMs, like one is just for distribution, one is for machine shops. Um, some of them, people are, are bolt-ons to their ERP, which, again, I'm going to probably alienate every ERP company, but here goes. Don't ever do that. They're either really good for ERP and they're really good for sales. Rarely, I've yet to find one that's good for both. So if you've got one out there that's a good ERP and a good CRM, please let me know because what people tend to do is they want to solve operations issues first and then they buy a bolt-on CRM mm -hmm. and it never does what we need it to do. No, no. With you, with the CRMs you're working with outside of Membrane, so I'm speaking for Membrane just because I've had, and maybe I'm a fool, but I've just had such a good experience with it. Um, we build in, and we do for clients, we build in steps or milestones in the stages yeah. of the sales process, and it will give you essentially a go-no-go no go on the likelihood that it's going to close based on prior deals, based on history, ideal fit customer, um, you name it and it baffles me it baffles me that even people that have that tool or that have that built in and it takes a while to build that but that they don't fill it out and then they wonder right. why they made an inappropriate proposal or presentation and then he didn't get it and when you do a, a pipeline review and you look back and you said well you never really established a relationship with them. Like you said here, it didn't seem like they trusted you and right. you couldn't find a compelling reason and they didn't share any revenue data with you. You don't even know if this was the right size customer. Why the fuck did you go in and present? Like we were so far away from there. Said, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, it was the end of the month. Like, dude, what is going on here? This is, once again, I take off, I'm in the trenches too with this stuff. So some of the things I hear blow my mind, but um, yeah. That, well, that, you want to be, you know, people, oh, I don't want to be seen as a pushy salesperson. I hear it all the time. I, I go to conferences, I ask, okay, how many people in the audience, when you were five years old, said you wanted to be a salesman, right? None. None. I went to Kent State to be a forest ranger, right? But my grades in biology and chemistry quickly shifted my path, right? I went into business. Mm -hmm. um, you got you got to focus um, and, and and get back on on course. And what the CRM does is it helps you stay focused. Mm -hmm. It helps you create learnings. If you don't have a powerful marketing team behind you, then it, it enables you to become your own, right? Um, if you're a small company and you're forced to do your own outreach, there's a lot of powerful things that are bolt-ons to different CRMs. You asked me, people use Salesforce, people use HubSpot, but the technology advancements in CRMs, I fell in love with ACT back in the day, right? I, I had everybody send me their diskettes every week so that I could update the ACT master file so they didn't have customers on their computers that we didn't know about, right? Today, you can do personality assessments on different buyers before you call them. There's so much technology. 
why not take a few extra steps and ensure you have a great call as opposed to an average call, right? And you talk about, you know, um, jumping into the sale. At what place is the buyer? You want to be seen as a pushy salesperson. Go in there and try to close when they're in the education stage. For sure. Why not just ask them? I have a whole chapter in my book on human to human selling. I can't believe I get paid to teach people how to be human again. <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing. It is, and do you notice when you're saying you teach people to be human again, are you noticing for the most part this is just a, a sales problem? Um, yes and no. People bring me in because they have a problem. Mm -hmm. If you Google fix sales problems, my website's number one in the world. Is it? Because I've written about it. I didn't pay for it. Now somebody's going to go, oh, I'm going to fix that. I'll, I'll <laughs> buy that slot or whatever. But I did it with content, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's all about like, you know, that fella I just mentioned, whether it's Verizon or AT&T calling you during dinner. Yeah. Do you feel they care about you or hitting his number? Hitting his number. Right. Every time. Um, the fella who wrote selling from the heart, he calls it commission breath. Yep. Buyers can smell commission breath a mile away, mm -hmm. but they also can feel worthy intent. They can feel that you're actually trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. We talked about, and again, I'm going to go back to the CRM. People yeah. buy for two reasons, competence and trust. Well, how do I build trust? Do what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. I had a CEO was blown away that the I was on the Zoom call two minutes before the meeting. He goes, I can't tell you how many busy consultants come on late. Well, shame on them. If I told you I'm going to call you at 3 o'clock, I've already dialed your number at 2.55. I'm just waiting for it to turn 3 o'clock and blow your mind. You do that enough times with the CRM reminding you to do it, you're building trust. You're doing what you say you're going to do because so many salespeople don't. Is that, is that a real, that's, that's a real thing that consultants come on late for calls? Oh, yeah. They, they think their time is worth more than other people's time. I, I'm a servant to you. I'm here to help you. I hope I never get so arrogant that I act like that. I, I humbly want to figure out how to help you and help you not need me mm -hmm. in the future. Um, but yeah, I actually, if I've helped one consulting firm, for example, the CEO would consistently sign on five to seven minutes late to every call mm -hmm. because that means he's busy. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, the customer who's filled their Zoom, this was during COVID, the customer was on time, the salesperson was on time, and we're doing that like cha-cha, that sales cha-cha, right? Trying to fill the void. That, that's unacceptable. That's disrespectful. And it, 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 it doesn't start a relationship off on a good tone. No, I, I agree. And the reason I'm asking, I'm really in disbelief. Um, do you think they're doing that as a, as a posturing thing? Like, I don't need this? Because I my experience is if anything, I'll have, I'll have a customer come on a minute or two late because they're paying me, but I couldn't, yeah. I can't imagine it being the other way around. Just no, this firm that I was, this firm that I was coaching, the, the CEO who wanted to be involved in every deal, mm -hmm. um, consistently showed up late because it's, because I challenged him on it and he said, it shows that I'm busy. Yeah. See, that's bullshit. That's, that's, that's what that's I'm bullshit. saying. It's, yeah. it's a posturing. It's a, it's a gimmicky tactic that well is, it's smoke and mirrors it's and i promise no smoke and mirrors right yeah um don't play games with people 
You're not that smart. I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't play games with people. Just be real. Be human. Yeah. Be human. Hey, man, I'm sorry I was two minutes late. You ain't going to believe this, but, you know, my dog is right here. I had to go out. And the guy's like, dude, I got a dog, too. Yeah, I get Be it. human. Yeah. Two minutes. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, yeah, if you come on, oh, sorry, I was so busy wrapping it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah, really I was on the, you know, phone with the CEO of Ford and he was asking my advice. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, Go that's away. cool. I'm paying you right now. What the fuck are you doing? You know yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. You know, it's like, don't get me started on marketing, right? People, what, the reason why we do voice of customer research is we want to understand the impact it has on the customer and the economic value. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me about you and how many years you're in business and all these catchphrases and acronyms. Boldly tell me how you're going to add value to my business, and you got my attention. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of stuff we get by asking really good questions. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's two things that you said that I want to circle back on. One is being human, and yeah. the the being human is when, or at least this is my take on it. And if you want to elaborate on this, <clears throat> teaching people to be human goes in in my opinion to quickly change that goes hand in hand with actively listening or staying yes. in the moment and when you're talking about that Verizon salesperson that calls you at 5 p.m. on a Friday or whatever the day is I notice when I'm getting a, a shitty salesperson and when I'm saying a shitty salesperson I've been a shitty salesperson like I, I've yeah. been I've been 23 on the phones too, just learning how to speak and not knowing what to do other than in I was trained by someone within the company just keep going just get it all out before they can hang up but and we're going to go back to omg here and we're going to talk about need for approval a little bit yes everyone has need for approval but the person on the other end of the phone your prospect your suspect that you're calling they have no problem hanging up on someone that is not human you're a Correct. robotic salesperson now if you're genuine and you speak to them in a way where you're listening that's where they're not going to hang up as quick. That's where they're not going to say, fuck off, lose my number because you are now human. And on the active listening portion, so many times, and for the listener, I've mentioned this before, but the importance of actively listening is you'll get and pay attention to this moving forward. You can get a call from a salesperson and they'll say, hey, Mark, it's Derek Bear. Uh, just calling you about XYZ business. You got a moment? And you say, no, I'm actually in the hospital right now. Um, this right. is not a good time. And they'll say, okay, great. So anyway, the reason I call this, and it's like, what the fuck just happened? What, right. what just happened? And that is how you just, that's a robot. We're talking about AI. I believe AI would be better at responding to that than just some salesperson that's looking to steamroll you, get their pitch out as quick as possible and hope you're ready to buy. So that, that's well, just a playing a numbers game. Yes. And, you know, and again, I, I used to teach, what's your number? My number was 18 when I was in the advertising business. If I had made 18 phone calls, I would have at least one conversation. I could get two conversations a day and I would close one. It blew the advertising guy's mind, right? I'm talking like Disney.com, Microsoft, Goodyear Tire and Rubber, Hoover Vacuum Sweepers. Those are the kind of accounts that I brought in. Why and how? And, well, it's a process. Follow the process. Be human. The person says, you know what? Actually, I'm in the middle of a meeting. Hey, I apologize. I tried reaching out with you uh, via email, get an appointment on your calendar. Tell you what, when, when's the best time to call you back? Mm -hmm. 
and then do it. For sure. You want to drive me nuts? I tell you to call me back on Friday. Send me a meeting invite. I'm in my car with my grandkids. Could you please do that? And they don't. Yeah. I don't trust you. <laughs> no. That's a sign of what our future relationship is going to be like. Right. Yeah. This I, is just, how I just spoke with a CEO. We had the meeting on the calendar for over a month. He says, look, you know, I'm really not in the mood for a, um, a meeting. And I'm like, yeah, right, man, you sound down. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh, it's silly, but my, my dog died. And that's I'm like, silly. dude, that's not that's silly not at silly. all. And I, I was telling him, I used to rescue dogs. At one time, I had like five labs running around in my house, right? Mm -hmm. I says, I totally get it. When would you feel, you know, that you'll be ready? Oh, I'm embarrassed. I need some time. I said, don't be embarrassed. It's because of that conversation that we became friends. You Respect should. the other person. I can't tell you how much money I made off of car dealers. If you treat somebody with respect when they come into a car dealer and actually ask them really good questions, how do you plan to use the vehicle? What are your typical, you know, you're going to ask them all these questions and eventually they're going to say, you're the only one that's ever asked me that. And I love it. I teach salespeople to say, well, maybe the other people should have asked you that. Mm -hmm. That that car dealership example resonates with me. Um, I had a, gosh, what was this? I think it was 2013. And I was with my dad. We were just, we were just stopping by a Ford dealership. Like we were just, just popping by. And they had a trade-in Subaru. Not even a car that I was looking to get. And there was one guy on the lot that was pushy, pushy, pushy. And we were getting ready to walk. And the general manager of the car dealership sat me down and was just asking questions. What's making you look for a new car? I'm getting ready to move. Where are you moving? I'm moving to Montana. What's taking you there? Work. Oh, I know. You know, I, I've been out to um, I've been out to Missoula a ton. I had a friend that went to college there. My sister went to college there. Those. This is the one time that this has happened, and and hopefully the only time that this has happened. But those genuine questions that just quickly built. I, I would say more than rapport built a bond. I walked off the lot with the car. Like I was oh, yeah. that I was that sucker, and he didn't ask me. He didn't tell me anything about the vehicle. He just got to know me to a level that no one else did, and said, "Yeah, go take it for a test drive." And I came back, and that was it. And, and that's a great example. It's just get to know the person. It doesn't have to be. You know, I, I'm not saying that we need to talk around getting into the sale, but let's make it conversational. Let's make it enjoyable. Let's keep it light. You know, what brought you in here? What's going on? I ask people, I said, sometimes it's a mindset. If that person was your grandmother, how would you like somebody to talk to them? Talk to them that way. Yeah. Oh, come on. It can't be that easy. It is. Yeah, it is. Take a genuine interest in them. You know, if you're just taking an order, yeah, that's a transaction. And AI can do that now. Yeah. You're going to be out of work. It's just a matter of when. Yes. So why not like do what AI can't do? I've had AI calls, by the way. Oh, I haven't had one. I listen just because I'm intrigued, but they suck, okay. right? Um, it's going to get better. Mm -hmm. uh, the vision is uh, AI will do all that heavy lifting legwork, so you're only on the real good calls. Mm -hmm. But right now, I think it's causing brand damage, some of those AI calls. I'd agree. If the, if the company let that happen, it makes me question the culture of the company. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Sales is a passion of mine. It always is. You can tell both my kids are grown. I, I have way too much free time to read a lot of data and reports and books. I got more books. Ever since I wrote a book, everybody's sending me a book. So um, that's how yeah, it goes. I'm very blessed.
That's in my book, I talk about there's nothing new under the sun. It's biblical, right? So if you're struggling with something, chances are somebody's talked about it. Mm -hmm. Similar to uh, similar to music, there's yeah. no new song. Everything is some mix of some chords that have been used before, a sample, a remix. There is a, someone could come out and shame me and say I'm wrong, but I really don't think there's a new song. No, and it's it's funny you mentioned song because I love to write. I don't claim to be a good writer. Mm -hmm. That's why I hire people now to do like make my writing look better so it's more enjoyable to experience. Mm -hmm. But I just wrote an article about is there harmony in your company? Other words, you know, you go to an orchestra and it sounds awesome and what you're hearing is a product of hundreds of instruments all in tune in harmony. Mm -hmm. But when I go to help a company and try to help them scale or deliver explosive growth, when I interview the leadership team, I immediately hear that flat note, man. It, it could be the person in charge of receivables. It could be the person in marketing who feels nobody's listening to them. It could be the plant manager who feels that, you know, no, we gotta sing in harmony mm -hmm. if you really wanna scale. And that's part of the, uh, the working with me entails is I, I get in your business. And some people hate that. Um, I had one, well, two comp clients in almost 40 years said, I have to stop working with you. And one of them was a family run business, third generation. I went out, I did the assessment of the salespeople. Turns out it was like the land of misfit toys. It's like where they put all the people they didn't know what to do with, they put them in sales. It's like, we're so great, how bad could they do, right? Um, and then, they had a lot of beliefs that just weren't true. So I went out, I interviewed the market. I had to tell them basically that their baby was ugly. And they're like, I don't believe it. We've been in business 86 years. We didn't get stay in business based on being this bad. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I also said you were doing a lot of things right. Mm -hmm. But if you want to scale, that particular company wanted to go to 350 million. Here's what we've got to do. Well, I'm not willing to do that. Okay, well, then this isn't a good gig. It's, I'm not going to be a good client, good coach for you. Um, you're not going to be a good client for me. Let's end this now. And literally the meeting ended. Mm -hmm. But normally, if you're a CEO, your job is to scale that business and create a vision for growth. And if I can help you find a way to do that quicker, smarter, more efficiently, they often want to listen. What do you what do you think it is when you go into a company and they're resistant to change or you notice that um, you've had way more experience with this than I have, but I've seen this a little bit. You get those people that throw up walls and yeah. they get extremely defensive to anything and, and you're there to help. What do you, I have my ideas on this, but why do you think that is? Well, it, it, sometimes their business becomes a part of them. Mm -hmm. So for somebody to come in and recommend something that feels so different, mm -hmm. it's almost offensive, mm -hmm. right? So I try to fix my approach. I mean, I'm not as bold as I am now on this call. I try to have really good questions. I try to understand why and how you do what you do and why you've grown to 50 million. You're obviously doing something right if you've been around 80 some years and you're 50 million, mm -hmm. right? Um, but yeah, it, it's like you're insulting them, you're insulting their grandfather, mm -hmm. right? It, it becomes very personal. So what I try to do is attach to the future vision as opposed to the past. Mm -hmm. 
let's recognize you're doing a lot of things right. I'll never know all the things you're doing right. But I'll tell you, I've helped companies go from 50 to you know, 300 million, and you're not gonna go there if we don't fix this and this. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it's broke. Well, let's find out. Could it be the reason why you're not growing is your salespeople haven't been trained? They've been trained in product and application. They haven't been trained in sales skills. I don't know. Could it be that they're calling on anybody that could fog a mirror and not ideal customers? Uh, and that's where they get real uncomfortable. He looks at the sales guy, sales leader acts like he's taking notes, right? I mean, I've been in this meeting, yeah. right? Could it be that your products aren't priced strategically? That's when the CFO starts looking down and taking notes, right? So I ask enough, could it be questions? And I think Dave Carolyn is, is like the master of it, right? And all of a sudden it's like the room is like, we need the answers to this. Yeah. And I tell people, you want to work with me, let me find the answers you're looking for. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a fee for that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want me to stay on as your coach and help you grow your business, great. But there's going to be a tremendous amount of value to understanding your current state, whether you ask me to do it or whether you take a DIY approach. And that's why I wrote the book. For people that can't afford a coach mm -hmm. or for people that want to do a DIY approach, I wrote the book, follow it, you're going to grow phenomenally so that that's great download and I, I want to jump to your to your new book that's coming out but before I go there I took notes you, you've said two things that also um, really resonated with me just the number 18 when you said you make 18 calls and for every 18 calls you book one meeting that's my number two so that's just cool no that way. That, yeah yeah I had uh, I had a group um, I, I had a client and I had a group of salespeople that said cold calling sucks, it doesn't work, no one answers, this and that. And I said, fuck it. I said, I'm gonna get on the phones, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go about it for a different uh, market, but I'm calling CEOs, so please trust me. This is gonna be a little bit harder than who you're calling on. And I did it, and I just stuck with it. And my number was, for every 18 calls, I was able to book a meeting, and for every, it was very very close to what you said, for every two conversations, I was able to make something happen. So that, um, just cool that you had that same number. And the second thing is, and this is um, this is going to be helpful for a listener that that struggles with need for approval. Um, you said that people either love you or hate you, and you don't know if that's a good thing. Um, I I have the same thing. What would be, or what is, if you could ballpark it? What's the percentage of people that love you versus hate you, and how do you get past? the percentage that hate you? Um, that's a great question. That's something I haven't logged, quite honestly, with all the data. Um, just from my experience, though, engaging with CEOs, I would say 75, 80% connect with me mm -hmm. because I'm a quick path to where they want to go. They might not like the bold and brashness of me, but again, I'm trying to be respectful of their time and their time they need to particularly if they're now owned by private equity, the time that they have to deliver. Mm -hmm. um, the other folks, you know, if it's a family run business and they want to like leave a legacy, which is actually my favorite engagement to do, um, they're not used to somebody who doesn't know the history, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I try to tone it down a little bit uh, based on the persona of the person I'm speaking with, the research that I've done. Hopefully I've even talked to some people that know that person before the first call. All the things I recommend salespeople do. Um, 
but data. You, you can argue you don't like the way I say things, but you can't argue with data. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing most people are super hungry for post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. What's happened? This should be our busiest time of year. This, is the, this, this quarter is terrible. What's going on? Is this the new normal? What happened? Those are all good questions. Let's find out. Don't assume, oh, my accounts are all full of inventory or my competitors are dropping stuff in from China or I've heard it all. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that could be, but let's find out for sure. Yeah, Let, let's have the conversation. Let's hear it from the horse's yeah. mouth. Very good. So transitioning. So you have the next book coming out and the book is Voice of the Customer. So this is right. what we've been talking about, but this is gonna be book two for you. When does that come out and what should the listener expect? Well, you'll, you'll laugh, right? I'm a serial entrepreneur. Once you've done it, you, 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 you stay it in your blood. Mm -hmm. So I work with this guy, Matt, Pen for Hire. And I said, man, you're working awfully hard to write my book. Why don't you just like read all my blogs and you know, turn that into a book? And we actually started a company, bookforblogs.com. It'll be launching here in December. Anyways, so I said, look, the feedback I'm getting on driving explosive growth this idea of interviewing customers is really resonating. Mm -hmm. um, if I want to do it myself, how do I do it? So I wrote an ebook, How to Leverage the Voice of Your Customers. It's free on my website, um, but it's not enough. It's not getting you there. So to Matt's credit, he says, hey man, let's just follow the new business model. Let's take your ebook, let's take the, you know, I've written, he said 19 blogs on voice of customer. He says, let's take all that content, shape it into some really good flowing content, make a short book and have it out by Christmas. Um, we just had the first meeting. He's already created the chapters. He's already filled in the content. And then the process is we do a couple interviews where he asks me questions to fill in content. And then we self-publish the book. I mean, it'll be out before Christmas. Very cool. Hey, I might know a couple of people that could benefit from that. I might know a couple uh, of people that have a lot of blogs that need to turn them into a book. Well, please connect them. I mean, everybody has a book in them. Yeah. I believe everybody's destined for greatness. Sometimes you just don't respect your own greatness. Yeah. Well, there's things you know that I don't know, and I could learn from you. And the book doesn't have to be business. Right. My wife is amazing at different crafts, and she's also an Amazon reseller. The stuff she could do to help you sell on Amazon blows my mind. <laughs> I got to get her to write her book, right? We're all experts in our own little realm. We all know things better than others and in our own little section or sector. And uh, we don't always think to give ourselves enough credit for it. And, well, uh, and I forget who said it, but I'm going to borrow it. There's, there's riches in the niches. Absolutely. And... If you have a book in you, and if you've done a blog, white papers, eBooks, if you've done training in PowerPoint, or better yet, if you've got a podcast and you've recorded every podcast episode and you have it transcribed, you've got a book. I'll, uh, I'll be connecting with you. So, All so, right, so, well, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I keep selling. No, 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 this is, this is great. This is a side note. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, there was a, I got into this in a roundabout way and somewhat inherited it. And um, in the first episode that I was a participant in, I was talking about how no matter what, life throws you curveballs, things don't always go your way, you just have to keep pushing. 
And in that first episode, that's when things shifted with this inherited podcast. So I thought, shit, I just said that. I can't stop now. So yeah. I, uh, I vowed <clears throat> I'm going to put out 52 episodes. And at the, at the end of the 52 episodes, this is just, I might have to do it now because I'm speaking it, but the lessons that I've learned along the way and the people that I've spoken to and the brains I've had the opportunity to soak up information from, those 52 episodes or those 52 weeks, that's a book right there. The things I it learned is. in a year, um, communicating, talking with, sitting down with high-functioning individuals, high-functioning athletes, CEOs, uh, coaches. It's Without a doubt, there will be one thing out of these 52 weeks that can help someone out there. And if that's the case, then I might have a book. So we will be in touch about that. And well, and any of the people listening that have a company, when I do net promoter score, the leading indicator on whether or not they refer people to you is your culture. Why not write a book about your company? Mm -hmm. Talk about your culture, be bold. Share what makes you different, your distinctive competence. Share the, your, your core values and your mission and your vision and the why that you do things. Mm -hmm. Put it out in a book. It used to be a friend of mine in Arizona spent $65,000 for a book, took 18 months, right? If you have content, we could get your book done in three to six months mm -hmm. and about a sixth of that price. That's, so why that's not compelling. leverage a new model, right? Yeah. The guy that is helping me, the, the, the person that's actually a author, he's been writing books for years. He says, I wonder if this would work for me. So he took all his blogs on real estate and wrote a real estate book in six weeks. Wow. So again, I don't mean to go off on a rabbit hole, but everybody has a story inside of them. And if you're a thought leader and if you've got any content that you've shared in webinars or blogs or podcasts, you're a lot closer to a book in establishing thought leadership than you ever dreamed. Mm -hmm. and, and how did the uh, how did the book turn out from the real estate blogs? He just launched it, and he actually, again, what what we believe is a book. I don't write a book to be a bestseller. I write a book to win business. Mm -hmm. uh, a month after I launched my book, I was asked to speak at a private equity conference. There were 60 companies there. Six of them became customers within about two days. Mm -hmm. That paid for the book. Um, this friend of ours that did his book, that the, the person, Matt, um, after launching his book, he picked up a very large six-figure contract for somebody because he gave him his book and said, here, this is who I am. I know your market pretty well. Read the book. If this resonates with you, let's engage. Mm -hmm. And he was up against some pretty big named competitors. And the guy read it and he's like, oh, dude, you know this stuff. Let's go. That's so don't underestimate the power of a book. No, that's this is uh, this is really good for me to hear because I've toyed with it. But now you've you've pushed me over. I, I will. I'll be doing this myself. Good for you. Yeah. And so I, I did want to ask um, a, a few personal questions and, and they sure. can be somewhat business oriented but um, and once again remember this is your episode so anything that you want to talk about please make sure that we uh, discuss it anything more with the book but um, a little bit more on a personal level if you were to look back in looking at your successes and the ups and downs and if you could talk to 
yourself or give yourself advice at 18, 28, and 38. And starting at 18, what would the if you could if you could teleport in and just give like a like a little bit of wisdom to that person, what would you say? Probably at 18 is pay attention and be agile. I never even heard the word agile at 18, right? But you don't have to have it all figured out. I'm 62 and I don't have it all figured out. But what you've got to do is just listen and take the, the attitude of a servant. And it's like, I want to help people. Mm-hmm. And people's problems change. Uh, when I was a little boy, I, I got known around the neighborhood for doing the jobs nobody wanted to do. You got a peach tree and nobody picks up the rotten peaches because they get stung by yellow jackets. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up your peaches for two bucks. I always had money. I kept an IOU from my parents when I was like nine. They borrowed like 98 bucks from me, right? Uh, I was always hustling. That's just the nature of who I am. Mm-hmm. So at 18, my advice would be, be agile. You don't have to figure it out. Try, fail, learn. You never fail, you just learn, mm-hmm. right? 25, what are you passionate about and what are you uniquely disciplined to do? Mm-hmm. And if you have a vision of where you want to go, what skills are you going to need to get there? Mm-hmm. Like if I was coaching one of my children, go join a huge company. Mm-hmm. When I was a training manager at Timken, our, we spent over $80,000 training new employees over six months. That's something they're never going to be able to replace, no, right? That's incredible. You're not going to get that at a small company. But if your vision is, I'm just going to launch my own company, then surround yourself with people smarter than you. That's And really then 30? Uh, 30, 30 was it? 38. So 18, 28, and 38, but 25 works. But so All right, well, 38. let's do 38, because that's the one that's the most important message I could give you. Okay. Make a date on your calendar for your kids and your spouse. I blew that. I was so focused on making money and I was traveling. I, well, I traveled uh, four nights a week for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so focused on being a success and making an income that if I had to go back, I, I, would, I would make time on my calendar for my kids and my spouse. And when you're, when you're saying make, make time on the calendar, are you saying make time to pencil them in or make time to find a spouse and when to have kids? Oh, no, no. I mean, like when you have them, right? (laughs) Um, Because again, it might not seem a big deal to you to miss a t-ball game, but it's a big deal to them. It is. And it's like, no, no, no. I was there for the big stuff. It's not about the big stuff. It's the frequency of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I mean, literally back in the day, we had Franklin planners and you were supposed to put in like five areas of your life. Go back to that methodology. Find time for your work. Find time for your spouse, find time for your children, your faith, your health. Put them in your calendar like it's a meeting you can't break. Mm-hmm. That's what works for me. That, that's really good. Um, you, mentioned, <clears throat> you mentioned health and we had talked before um, about karate. Um, yeah. What are, you, what are you doing now to keep physically fit? And it, when I'm saying physically fit, um, for me, exercise helps my mind. So I, right. like, I like physically moving, I like lifting weights, I like running, I like being outside. But those things translate directly into my mind and how I feel. So, so what are you doing to keep sharp? Well, I, I just got back into working out. Because I care for my father, um, he's got um, some dementia issues. I, I, I kind of stayed out of the gym mm-hmm. during COVID. 
Um, I'm getting back into the gym now. I've got, you know, you say COVID-19, I've got like the COVID-40, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to whittle away at that. But every day, like clockwork, I take my dogs on a walk and I got into rucking where you put a backpack on with yeah. weight in it. Yeah, that's really good. So I'm doing two things. I'm making my dogs happy and I'm giving my body an amazing workout. Mm -hmm. um, and then I try to lift three days a week. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, I'm searching now for another instructor that teaches the style of Tai Chi that I took after my accident. I was in Tai Chi for eight years. I want to get back into that. And then I'm going to get back into guitar, right? I was in college. They're like, dude, you got a problem. You're not going to graduate. What are you talking about? Everything you took was business. You got to take something that was non-business. How about guitar? I'm like, all right. Loved it. Mm -hmm. A little intimidated when I go into the class and a kid's playing Stairway to Heaven and I'm like struggling with Hey Jude, right? <laughs> yeah. But it was peaceful. Mm -hmm. So I, I started picking up the guitar again. But health-wise, I think there's mental health and then there's physical health. Mm -hmm. And taking a long walk, I still have two dogs, taking a long walk with somebody with you or by yourself, it does a couple things. It's, it's good for your body, but it also clears your head so I can be a better service to people. Mm -hmm. It also, so at least for me, so I'm, I'm downtown Seattle. And so I, I see, you know, I've got skyscrapers around me, but when I take a long walk and I get outside of the city, or if I get into nature, it puts my eyes, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this, I might be repeating this for you, but um, similar to when you get in a car accident and you ask someone about it, they almost say like everything went slow-mo. And your yep. eyes hyper focused on what's right in front of you, and so when we look at our computer screens all day, we look at this little this little device, this little cell phone. Our eyes are so focused that we're almost, or not almost, we're always in this kind of uh, stressed state. And when you yeah. get outside and you get in nature and you can see that your panorama opens up, your eyes relax. And when your eyes relax, everything else just kind of settles down. Your cortisol lowers. So I walk. Shit, I probably walk at minimum seven miles a day, just for that. Wow. And I, I like listening to music, but I've noticed that when I don't listen to music, that's when I process. That's the time where I just think through everything. And it's almost like a walking meditation. Like I just, I just get to Zen. And if it's an hour, two hours, when I come back, anything that I would have been putting off because I'm looking at TV screen, computer screen, cell phone device, and then you know whatever else is coming in my way, I've had the time to process it while doing a healthy activity, and I just seem to sleep better. I can relax. Oh, easier. you will. It's just, yeah. And again, Tai Chi does that for me. The form that I do or used to do takes 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. But you get into that flow. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about the next phone call. It's like an inner cleansing, right? Yeah. And then the outer cleansing is, you know, your heart rate's going up to 155 if you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, fitness is important. I'm getting back into it, but also mental, you know, for a long time, I spent a lot of research on business. Mm -hmm. If there was a topic I didn't understand, I bought a book. Yeah. And what you'll learn when you read your read it, if you read my book, uh, my college, uh, counselor told me not to go to college. They said I wasn't smart enough to go to college, take up auto body or something. Um, so I said, all right, well, what if I started reading a book a week? So when I was traveling, I read a book a week. Um, so lately though, I've been really focused on this anxiety. Um, I see it in salespeople. I see it in CEOs. There's a couple really good books out now on anxiety, what causes anxiety, how to decompress, how to make good decisions. Cause when you're in an anxious state, you know, your primal brain 
kicks in and it's fight or flight. And the creative part of your brain is off. So again, I'm just right now, I'm spending time being a student of anxiety, trying to understand what's causing it, why, and how to coach my, my, my CEOs. Because the real reason for my book is it's more of a ministry. Um, I was that busy CEO company president for years, right? Uh, running on empty, you know, trying to fill that big hole in my chest with things and business and revenue, but you're never going to fill it. So what I do now is I help CEOs have more time with their kids, more time with their spouses, more time for fun things. Um, the value of your business is actually greater the less you work, Mr. CEO. Mm -hmm. I often ask people, how, my, how many hours are you working? Oh, I work 12 hours a day. Well, if you work 12 hours a week, that's a pretty valuable company. That means you've created systems and processes. I, I can help you sell that. Mm -hmm. If you're irreplaceable, shame on you. Yes. So again, that, that's kind of what I'm doing right now is for mental health, I'm reading some fantastic content. Um, marital health, I just went to a conference, uh, the five love languages, it was phenomenal. I'm already starting to write blogs on love languages of buyers, but I'm gonna ask permission to, before I do it. But uh, yeah, I can't turn it off, right? It's just fun. How can, uh, for the listener, what, uh, how can we find your blog? Um, nosmokeandmirrors.com is my blog. Okay. If it's easier, just Google fix sales problems. My website's number one. Okay. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I use my middle name on LinkedIn, Mark Allen Roberts. People ask me why. I said, have you ever Googled your name? Mark Roberts is the world's most famous streaker. And in no way does that help me, right? Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. What did he streak? So, naked. You know, he runs naked no, through no, no, Wimbledon. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. I, no, I know what streaking is. How did he become the most famous in the world? He had to have done a couple of events. That oh, were... he does Wimbledon, the uh, World Series, the, you know, um, Super Bowl. I mean, he's the world's most famous streaker. <laughs> and in no way will that help me. Yeah. So my mom is so thrilled that I'm using my middle name, right? So, um, yeah, if you want to find me, you know, Mark Allen Roberts on LinkedIn, you'll find me. And there was, uh, what was I going to ask? Oh, oh. so when you're mentioning anxiety, what, just to give a quick, and I know it goes deeper, what are the three biggest triggers? Because everybody, everybody, especially post-COVID, is dealing with that in some, in some way. Maybe some more than well, others, but what are the triggers? I'll just share personally. Yeah. Um, signing up for too much. It's kind of <laughs> like when I coach a CEO. You know, we, we might spend half a day making a list of to-dos, and at the end of the day, he only has three. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to do the same practice for ourselves. Um, the other one is not having balance. If all you're doing is working, you know, 12, 18 hours a day, no wonder you're feeling anxious and exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like you said, the third one would be uh, some kind of physical health. You know, um, it, it clears all that garbage out. You know, I look at it like a backpack. My very first book was called Branding Backwards. And the character in the book that teaches you about branding has a backpack. And at one point in the book, they're going over this rope bridge and everything in the backpack falls out. That's a holistic moment, right? Mm -hmm. Stop carrying all this junk and be in the moment of where you are right now with no preconceived notions and just pay attention. Um, stop trying to compare to all these fake posts on LinkedIn and Instagram. And, you know, my, my marketing firm wants me to do TikTok. I'm not feeling it yet, but they'll probably do it without my knowledge. Um, no, 
I don't need to be better than you. You have a successful podcast. Good for you. I should like high five you. I don't need to beat you. We can do a How vertical. How can we be friends? We can do a vertical high five. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so that's causing a lot of anxiety. The book I'm reading now, um, he talks about how anxiety and anxious thoughts are actually like a, a, a fire alarm. Mm -hmm. Don't try to put a towel around the alarm with medication. Find the fire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm really blessed that I'm reading his work and um, I'm trying to help use it because again, I, I see problems that I can't solve and it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to learn and I see way too many CEOs, particularly those who just got money from a private equity firm that are stressed, mm -hmm. anxious, afraid. They've never had a boss before. To let your dad or granddad down a month in sales is not a big deal. Let down an investor, your life changes. Yes. So I need to coach them on how to get through anxiety in those difficult moments, and I'm gonna I'm gonna study it until I learn I learn how to do that. That's awesome. And if you, I believe this is my last question. Sure. If you had a book that that isn't yours, of course I'm gonna recommend right. the readers readers. But what would be your most gifted book? Well, this one also, I'm going to warn you, my editor didn't like me putting it in my book. It's the Bible. It's the best business book written ever. I even do men's groups now where I tell people, give me a subject in, in business and I'll tell you where to look in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's the best business book ever. And the fact that they use storytelling to teach us. Even better. That's a whole other episode we can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um... I've heard this before, actually. I've never read it. Um, so no, that's, I think that's a great recommendation. Um, I, I've heard this a few times. Just the, you know, for however long ago this was, things as far as personality differences and issues and wants and thoughts and the dark side versus the light, nothing's changed. We've got technology. We have cell yeah. phones. Everything's the same. Well, it's in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And they're all, oh, Mark, come on, I, I wrote this book. No, actually, when you look at someone in your book, Jim Collins said that, the guy that wrote Five Dysfunctions said that, you know, you've turned it and spun it in a new way, good for you, but you can actually go back to the root. You know, how do you deal with people with respect? Um, what do you deal with, how do you deal with letdown and disappointment? I, 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 it's kind of funny. I don't tell people going into the engagement that a lot of what I do is biblical, mm -hmm. but some point in the conversation, or maybe it's over a bourbon after work, they're like, dude, you're a little different. And that's when I share my faith, right? Mm -hmm. Cause that was the only thing that ever filled the hole in my chest. I tried everything. Fancy cars that spent more time at airports than in my own driveway. Yeah. No. <laughs> so if I can give that gift, to a CEO, that makes me very happy. I like that. I, I really like that. And, you know, I, I said that this is your episode, but I feel fortunate because I got to learn a lot and I'm going to take quite a few things that you said and put into practice myself. <clears throat> I will uh, definitely do a follow up and let the listeners know how it's going for me. I'll keep in Good. contact with you and I'll let you know. How well, it's we're going friends for me. now. We're friends now. And this was this is the blind date episode, and I think it went well. So you know, maybe maybe we'll have another date in the future. And um, you know, I, I said I had a last question. I do this all the time. I got one more. All right. 
if you could, and I'm putting you on the spot, so if you need a second, don't worry. If you could have a billboard, and this, we're not gonna hold this, this one to you forever. Things change, we change our thoughts, but right now, if you could put a message on a billboard, what would it be? If you can answer what problem do you solve, you're well along the path of having a scalable company. I like that. And you could take that another way, right? Mm -hmm. What problem do you solve if you're a psychologist? What problem do you solve as a teacher? What? Be a servant, help people. Everybody's got problems. Help them solve them. Mm -hmm. You'll be memorable. What problem do you solve as a mentor? What problem do you solve as a friend? What problem do you what solve? What problem does your podcast solve? Yeah. Well, right? I, I think I know, but we'll find All out. All right. Yeah. But, um, would that, unless, unless there's anything else that you want no, to No, it was a pleasure meeting you. And again, I really mean it. We're friends now. Yeah. So if I can ever help you, just reach out. Absolutely. We'll be in touch. And, and this means more to me than you know. So I, I really appreciate it. We'll be in contact. And um, once again, thank you for joining me on the show. And I have a sneaking suspicion we'll be meeting in person sometime, not too long.